Okay, title of the message is Christian Order Part 2. Two weeks ago, we looked at the validity of Paul's ministry. Remember that? We looked in detail as to how and why we can trust not only what Paul has written, but also what Paul has passed on to us by way of the revelations he received from Christ. This week, we are going to begin our deep dive into this subject of Christian order. We've already examined in previous sermons why it is necessary for Paul to address this subject. So we won't rehash that. We will instead begin to study each of these verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 3. If you'd look at verse 3. We've already covered verses 1 and 2 in great detail, if you remember. In verse 3, Paul says, But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of, of Christ. Now, some of you may have a Bible translation that uses the words husband and wife instead of man and woman. There's a reason for that. The reason is the Greek terms used to describe man and woman are the same Greek terms, same Greek language used to describe a husband and a wife. With me? And of course, we look at the Greek because the New Testament was written in Greek and Aramaic. We go back to the original language and we look at these words so that we can grasp the entirety of their meaning. Now, the word head in verse 3, if you look at that, means authority. In other words, Christ has authority over man, the husband has authority over the wife in a Christian marriage, etc., etc. Now, before you ladies pick up stones to stone me in the pulpit, let me elaborate on that statement, okay? We see this authority motif, as we call it, not only here in our text, but in many other places throughout the entire Bible. This isn't anything new. Okay? We especially see it in God's design for marriage. For example, in Ephesians 5, verse 23, Paul says this, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. That fits perfectly with 1 Corinthians eleven three. Okay, but that's Ephesians five twenty three. The husband as the head is further supported, okay, in other scriptures like, well, we could look at the very next verse, verse 24 of Ephesians 5. Paul says, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Another passage of scripture that somewhat surmises this subject can be found in 1 Peter 3. This is a little long if you want to turn there and follow. 
you can, 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 7. Paul, or Peter says, In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so then even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won over without a word by the behavior of their wives. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Verse 3. Your adornment must not be merely eternal, I'm sorry, external braided, braiding of the hair and of wearing of gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Verse 5. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children, that'd be Sarah's children, if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, Peter says, in the same way, Live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. That's a pretty good summary of men and women in the church. Paul's view of men and women in the church. Paul's view of husband and a wife. And we are going to get into that thematic thread of marriage and the roles of men and women more next week than this week, okay? I'd like to also point out, this is very important. You know, Peter just gets done saying the woman is weaker, um, you know, different things like that. If you don't understand what he's saying, if you don't understand the theology of it, could make you think ill of Peter. And even the things that Paul say can make you think ill of Paul. But let me clear that up a little bit. We need to understand that when Paul says that the woman is weaker, okay, what he means specifically, and again, we lose a lot when we translate from Greek to English. And we have to know about these things, okay? He is saying in the Greek that the woman is the weaker vessel or the weaker frame, meaning her body is weaker. Her stature is weaker than a man in general. It has nothing to do with a woman's intellect. It doesn't mean, Paul does not mean that women aren't as smart as men. I know a lot of women who are smarter than men. Trust me. There are many women out there who are also emotionally, not only intellectually, but emotionally stronger than their husbands. So let me be clear. Paul is talking about the physical aspects of a woman here. Do you recall... I hope you do. Two weeks ago, 
when I said that this part of, cha- of the chapter is about two words, gender distinctives, okay? Gender distinctives. This might be a good place for you to begin making notes about gender distinctives and gender differences as we go through the rest of this message this morning. For example, there's a reason why there are men's sports and women's sports. There is a reason why there is men's swimming and women's swimming. There is a reason why the woman's golf tee is closer to the green than the man's golf tee. Men simply are physically stronger than women in general. Of course, you will have your, we'll call them flukes, okay? For example, there are female power lifters out there who are much stronger than I am, but they are not typically stronger than male power lifters, which is why you don't see co-ed power lifting championships. You see female championships and you see male championships. There's a reason why trans women who compete against real biological women in female sports always win or rank at the top. Just look at, I'm sure you, most of you know who Leah Thomas, the swimmer, okay? Uh, trans woman who, who competed in college female swimming recently. As her gender assigned at birth, she was a male. She is a male. We don't have any young kids in here, okay? Um, Leah Thomas has male genitalia, not female, even though she calls herself a trans woman. She was ranked 400th. It's like 420-something in men's swimming. 400th. Because she's trans, she goes and she gets to swim with the women and she wins. She doesn't doesn't only win medals, but she broke a world record. So... She actually won four races and set a new world record for the 500-yard freestyle in women's swimming, even though she's still a biological man. I mean, is this rocket science? So those women who she competed against, who worked all their lives and trained all their lives to come out on top, they all have to take a back seat to her and there's nothing they can do about it. Why? Because Leah Thomas, despite her transition, is bigger, stronger, has more stamina because she's a biological male and she wins because she is a biological male competing against biological females. Why is this so? Because God made gender distinctives. 
male and female. God made male and female, Genesis 1.27. And there's also a reason why you don't see trans men competing in men's sports. Women who are transitioning into men, why don't they compete in men's sports? Just like Leah Thomas competes in women's sports. There's a reason for that. Because they know they can't win because they're biological females. Unlike Leah Thomas, the swimmer, um, trans, trans men rarely not only win, but they rarely compete. Okay? So I don't care how many female hormones are running around up in Caitlyn Jenner's bloodstream. She still has the muscles, the tendons, the larger bone structure, and a host of other things that make her a male. And she also has man parts, still. So, if Caitlyn Jenner competed in a triathlon with the leading female triathlons of the world, she would win as a trans woman. I mean, could you imagine Bruce Jenner a trans woman competing against these women in a triathlon and not winning? Okay, so. These things are common sense. But unfortunately, in today's society, we have to reiterate them, defend them, and come alongside those people who are being abused in a myriad of ways because they've fallen victim to this stupidity. It's just stupidity. Unfortunately, we have currently bankrupted common sense in our progressive society, and we have replaced it with a common collective stupidity that is adverse and perverse to not only the Christian scriptures, but also to basic human dignity. Back to our text, done with my rant. In our text, Paul says that the man is the head of the woman. What is that all about? Well, let's try to answer that question. A um, young, I call him young, he's probably about 30, a young local pastor here in the area, South Hills, recently sent me a book to read that he wrote entitled The Beauty of the Binary, published by Founders Ministry, which many of you know. Um, his name's Luke Griffo. He's an elder at Redeemer Church of the South Hills, which is a church where his father, Pastor Joe Griffo, is the senior pastor. They are reformed, this church, in their soteriology. Soteriology is a fancy word to describe salvation. They are reformed in their beliefs about how someone is saved, just like we are as a church. And in the letter, Luke said that he was sending his book to other like-minded pastors in the area. Hence, he sent me one. I'm not very far into the book, but something 
on page 40 uh, caught my eye. A lot, a lot of things caught my eye, okay? Luke says this. Now remember, folks, we, we're talking about the man as the head in a position of authority in the home and in society. You with me? Okay. Luke Griffo says this, and I'm quoting. I'm going to quote him a few times in this sermon. He says, if a man is to be in a position of authority, he must necessarily be in a position of responsibility. Let that sink in for a minute. If a man is to be in a position of authority, the head, right? He must necessarily be in a position of responsibility. And the greater and more burdensome the responsibility, the greater the authority. I mean, think about it. How much, how much responsibility does the President of the United States have? A lot, which is why the President of the United States is seen as an authority, right? Okay. Therefore, Luke says, if men are generally called to headship and authority as the primary design for their sanctification, they must have an understanding of the nature of Jesus's headship over the church, for that is what we seek to imitate. Imitate. I couldn't agree more with this guy. <clears throat> he goes on in the book to make this point. He says that the natural impulses of men, listen to this, and th think of men that you've known over the years that were jerks to you, okay? Um, he says that the natural impulses of men are prone to seek dominance and exercise headship in an authoritative manner. If you don't see that in the world, then you probably haven't worked a week in an office. Just go work in an office and watch all the men try to dominate themselves and for position and, okay. So to the sinful man, Griffo says, and I'm quoting now, this is what strength and power look like. That's to the sinful man. What, assert my dominance, assert my authority, run you over, steamroll over you, okay? Then he says, Jesus, however, leaves no such example. Jesus doesn't exercise dominance in a sinful manner like other men do, he says. He goes on to make the point that Jesus represents and leads his people in a spirit of sympathy and compassion. How many men do you know that lead their family in sympathy and compassion? And he quotes Hebrews chapter four, verse 15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect, who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. With that said, uh, Griffo goes on to point out that a sinful male will often belittle and look down 
on those who are weak. But Jesus, conversely, sympathizes fully with the weakness of his people. Last week, I started choking my head off up here. No, two weeks ago. Last week, Scott was choking his head off up here. Something raining down? I don't know. Anyway, he says that Jesus exemplifies a leadership. I'm sorry. Jesus is exemplary of leadership and intercession. We'll, We'll elaborate on that in a minute. Okay. He says, it is these responsibilities that men are to pursue. Leadership and intercession. Unfortunately, I have seen many times, especially in Pentecostal and Reformed circles, when men take 1 Corinthians 11.3 and 1 Peter 3, 1-7 that we just read, they take it and they run with it in a completely different direction than intended by God. In doing so, instead of exercising leadership and intercession as hallmarks of their authority, they try to turn their wives into obedient slaves to be ready at their beck and call. And if their wives resist, they pull the whole submission card. Uh, the Bible says you're supposed to submit to me. You're supposed to be subject to me. And then they wrongly cite 1 Corinthians 11.3 and 1 Peter 3, 1-7. They're taking it completely out of context. <clears throat> I'll just keep the drink up here. They either create their own definition of headship or they follow a definition of headship that has been ill-conceived and poorly or wrongly modeled by their pastor. (coughs) Sorry. In other words, they repeat the folly Maybe if I chew the Altoid. These types of men in the church tend to also be harsh with their children, provoking their children to anger, which is exactly what the Bible tells us not to do as men. That doesn't make the wife very happy, does it? When the dad provokes children to anger. That's not biblical headship. It's not what we're talking about. Instead, it's a harmful ignorance caused by the inability to interpret scripture in a responsible manner. 
it really bothers me because I see it a lot. <coughs> I see it a lot locally. Those of you that have been coming to this church for a long time, this doesn't happen to me. I don't know what the deal is, but I can't even talk. Let's recap where we're at. Remember what I said two weeks ago? It's going to take three weeks or or more to get to this chapter. I just want you to be patient. Don't be alarmed if there's things that you don't understand because I'll tie it all together at the end. When I say end, I mean end of the chapter, okay? <coughs> By the way, I'm not sick. This is weird. I'm not sick at all. I just have a tickle. Only in this end of the room. Didn't happen when we were up there, just when we moved to this end. Anyway. Thus far, we have looked at the man and the woman, verse 3. I want to read the verse one more time. Paul says, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. As I said, we've looked at the man and the woman in this verse. And I want to look at God the Father, our God the Father and our Christ in verse 3. Paul is saying that Christ is the authority over every man. And man is the authority over woman. And God the Father is the authority over Christ. Now, if you're going to pay attention to anything in this sermon, pay attention to this next sentence, okay? This does not mean that the Son is inferior to the Father any more than it means that a woman is inferior to a man. The Son is not inferior to the Father. Like a man and a woman, okay, this simply means that the Father and the Son have separate Roles, R-O-L-E-S, and functions. They're co-equal. Getting ahead of myself. Let me quote Tom Schreiner, theologian, about this verse, about God and Jesus and the head, okay? He says, quote, The difference between the members of the Trinity is a functional one not an essential one. He continues, such an interpretation is confirmed by 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 28. When Christ, this is what it says, when Christ has subjected all things to himself, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him. Jesus will become subject to the Father The Father put everything under Christ so that God may be all in all. Jesus has a role. The Father has a role. 
Everything gets put under Jesus' feet, which we'll get into later. And that's how the Trinity operates, okay? Schreiner continues, Paul did not see such a subjection of the Son to the Father as heretical because the Son was not essentially inferior to the Father. I'm going to read that again. Paul did not see such subjection, Jesus being subject to the Father, okay, as heretical because the Son was not essentially inferior to the Father. I'm still quoting Schreiner. Bear with me. Instead, Schreiner says, he will subject himself voluntarily to the Father's authority. The Son has a different function or role from the Father, not an inferior being or essence. One can possess a different function and still be equal in essence and worth. So the Father and the Son are equal within the Trinity in essence and worth, but the Son is subject to the Father because the Father gives the Son a role, a job to do. Manifest yourself in human flesh and save humankind. You with me? Am I making sense? Okay. Women are equal to men in essence and being, just like the Father and the Christ are. This is still Schreiner. He says, there's no ontological distinction, and yet they have a different function and role in the church and at home. I think that's incredibly put, which is why I didn't try to plagiarize it. I just read it, okay? And if I might add, these feminist theologians that I talked about two weeks ago, this is where they make their mistake. This is where they get accusatory against Paul. They think that the different function of the Father and the Son, the different roles of the Father and the Son, involves an essence of being, and therefore one member of the Trinity is greater than the other member of the Trinity, and they're not co-equal, they're not Trinitarian in the way that we as Christians for 2,000 years have said they are. However, the relationship between the Son and the Father shows that their thinking is flawed. As Schreiner alluded to, he said, you know, one can possess a different function and still be equal in essence and worth. Men and women have different functions, but they're still equal in essence and worth. So, consequently and therefore too, Women are equal to men in essence and worth. Now, what about the different roles? The difference between the members of the Trinity is a functional one, not an essential one. I just said, I just repeated what I said five minutes ago but in less words. The difference between the members of the Trinity is a functional one, not an essential one. 
It's the same thing where a husband and a wife are concerned. Men and women function in different capacities. Men who don't believe that have never lived with a woman, and woman, women who don't believe that have never lived with a man. Such differences that we have as men and women, husbands and wives, do not logically imply inequality or inferiority. Just as Christ's subjection to the Father does not imply his inferiority. And this is what I was talking about when I said that I see men in Christendom today who exasperate their wives and their children because they think that these scriptures mean that their wives are in subjection to them in an inferior way. You with me? We could go all the way back to the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Church Fathers supported that last sentence. And I want you to know that I didn't look that up. Schreiner looked that up and footnoted it in his commentary. This description of the Trinity and the different roles within the equal persons of that Trinity has been around for 1,560 years, roughly, give or take a year. So Schreiner must be in agreement because he quotes them. So with that said, let's try to tie this together and close this out, okay? Minus the choking. Follow me on this. Just as the father is the head of the son in their respective roles, so is a man the head of a woman in their respective roles. I'm talking husbands and wives, marriage. The father and son are co-equal in essence and worth, yet they possess these different functions, just like a husband and a wife. Paul and Peter are the ones that are modeling a husband and a wife from 1 Corinthians 11.3. We read those scriptures in the very beginning, remember? Um, in, the role, <clears throat> in the role of headship, Remember, there comes an expectation of responsibility. Two of those key responsibilities are to model exemplary leadership and intercession, like Luke Griffo says in his book. He mentioned this regarding Christ. And that is exactly what Christ, the head of every man in our text, does for us. He leads the Christian and he intercedes continually at the right hand of the Father for the Christian. It's his role. It's his function. It's his responsibility, if you will. It's a responsibility that was given to him by the Father. And he's in subject to that. He, he is subject to that. But he's not inferior to, to his Father.
Where do you get this stuff at, Mike? Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 through 25, we are told that Christ always lives to make intercession for us. How can he do this? He can do it because he's eternal. He can do it because he's our great high priest who lives forever. And as our text says in 1 Corinthians eleven three, 3, Jesus is the head of every man. You can write down Ephesians 1, Paul says that the Father put all things into subjection under Christ's feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. I hope you see the correlation, the parallel between father and the son, husband and wife, father and the son, man and woman, roles. Ephesians 4.15, I'm gonna write that down. Paul says that we, that's you and me, are to grow up in all aspects into him, Christ, who is the head. And then he says, even Christ. And to him who is the head, even Christ. And then yet again in Ephesians 5.23, Paul says that the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being savior of the body. So men, husbands, <laughs> when I do marriage counseling, people always say this to me. It's one of the favorite my favorite things they say to me because I like to shoot them down. Um, I, I should probably repent of that. But um, the husband will rant and say, she doesn't submit to me like the Bible says she's supposed to. And then I come back and I say, well, have you read Ephesians 5.25? You're supposed to lay your life down for her as Christ laid his life down for the church. So beat that one. And they kind of tilt their head like a dog and look at me. Like, yeah, yeah, you're supposed to sacrifice your life for your wife. And you know what? If you did that, you did it the way you're supposed to do it, she would probably come into submission for whatever it is that you think she should come into submission for. Anyway. So, there you have it. Like the persons of the Trinity have roles and functions, men and women have Gender, gender specific roles and functions. Next week, when we talk about head coverings and long hair and short hair and temple prostitutes, you're going to see why I'm calling this chapter, describing this chapter with two words, gender distinctives. And guess who is, who is trying to blur these gender specific roles? Satan. He doesn't just blur the lines between the genders. He wants to dupe us into something even more sinister. He wants us to question the very image of God and the very image of man who is made in the image of God. To say that you need to make a transition into the opposite gender is to say that God made a mistake when he created you in the womb. They say, oh, well, 
is that the gender you were, des- you were assigned at birth? You weren't assigned a gender at birth. You were assigned a gender in the womb. Big difference. Not a screw up, not a mistake. As you go through your upcoming week, just try to think about these different roles between co-equal persons of the Trinity, the different functions of the members of the Trinity, and then think about the same in, in a marriage, okay? Let's pray.